Welcome to Set on Sunday, a podcast by Killable Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sit on Sunday. My name's Beck, and I'm the host of the podcast today. And joining me today is James. Did you forget my name for a no, second? No, I didn't. <laughs> I was just deciding whether to introduce you or Dan first. Uh, okay, so Who could preferential you? treatment. <laughs> oh, I think people can, don't worry. <laughs> it's and good Dan to be. is here too, of And course. I'm here. Hello, hello. <laughs> yeah. So it's just the three of us today. Um, so let's get into it. James, sure. what did you talk about on Sunday? So we looked at sort of the, the last sort of part of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he does go on from verse 13 onwards, but sort of talks about now, you know, these are the two ways to live, the wise and foolish builder and whatnot. But we kind of got to the end and finished with the, the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And that kind of sums up, as Jesus says, uh, the law and the prophets, you know. And so we looked at judging. You know, uh, as Christians, uh, we are called to judge, but we're not to be judgmental in our judgment of people um, as we rebuke and correct and, and, and love our fellow brothers and sisters. Uh, we looked at uh, where Jesus speaks about asking and seeking and knocking. Um, and, you know, what are we praying for? Uh, what are the good things that we pray for? Uh, and then finally, obviously, the golden rule, which was do unto others you would have them do to you, that we are to do good to others. Um, it's not a place of inaction where, we, you know, in the Jewish form it was to don't do this as you wouldn't want it done to you, but rather go and do it. Um, and so, you know, go and love people as you'd want to be loved. Go and be kind as you'd want people to be kind to you. And mm. so, yeah, going out and, and being, um, yeah, Jesus' people out in the world. And so, yeah, that was kind of the, the three big sort of things for the day. Mm, yeah, really good. Actually, Matthew seven twelve was a memory verse me and my youth group back in the day when I used to write those memory verse songs. Okay, yeah, so yeah. So it wasn't a song, so I'm happy to sing it for you because yeah, it's more of a rap. My right? guitar's <laughs> just here if you want me to, <laughs> to bring it out. It's like, so it goes, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, Matthew 7, 12. How about that? There we go. <laughs> I've got a very cute little video clip of my children very young. It's oh, adorable. very good. But anyway, right. let's get into our questions. All right. Um, it's probably good to define terms a little bit before we get sure. into it. And someone has asked, how do you judge without being judgmental? I can't see the difference. When you judge mentally, it's not particularly with love. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, I think I sort of went through some of the different meanings of what um, the Greek could be translated as. Uh, and in the context here, it was sort of affirming that what Jesus is saying is don't be judgmental. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when we're sort of making calls or making judgments, um, you know, we're, we're trying to help other brothers and sisters live out the teaching that Jesus has just called us to live, right? So we've got to look at the context of chapter 5, chapter 6, and Jesus has been saying live this way and not this way, um, do this and don't do that. And so, you know, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to help one another live out what Jesus has mm -hmm. called us to do. And so when we see people living in a particular way, we do kind of have to make a judgment on, hey, are they living up to what Jesus is teaching here? And if not, how can we help them in a loving way? Because we're only doing it because we love them, because mm -hmm. we want to see them live out the Christian faith and, you know, uh, finish the good race that's been set before us and, and, and ultimately, you know, be in heaven with Jesus in, the, in that last time. And so for us, I think we need to look at it in the context of we do need to make judgments, but don't do it from a place of thinking I'm better than you um, or I've got my life together more than you have. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, you know what, well, I'm a sinner too. Um, I struggle with things as well. And, you know, I want to help you live out what Jesus has called us to do in the last couple of chapters as his disciples and living for his kingdom. And so it can be tricky, mm. um, but I think when it comes to making those calls, it's it's from a place of love and help that we want to do that from, not a place of I'm better than you. So that would be kind of the distinction I'd make. Mm. I think there's potentially unhelpful connotations that come with the word judge and judgment and that kind of stuff. And like we're we're always making judgments in our life. What do, like in every area of life that we're in, whether it be when you first meet someone, you might subconsciously 
make a judgment based on what they look like or mm. what, how they talk to you, that kind of thing. And or even just general thing of the day, planning out and judging how your day would look kind of thing in very general terms and very, yeah, general things. But I think like here, like James says, there's a, there's a love out of the judgments that God is calling us to do here. And I think generally when we make judgments on people, when we hear the word judge, it's unhelpfully moved into the unhelpful or like the, the, the negative space of what this word can mean. Mm. And it's a judgment based out of love that I think, like what James said, I want to reiterate that. I think that's really important. It's not a thing of I'm better than you and you need to act this way. It's a, I love you. You are a dearly loved person of God and I want to see you chasing after him in, in, in a more corrected way kind of thing. There's, mm. there's, I hear the the nuance there and I hear the difficulty in that, just like James said, but I think it's there, you know. Mm. Mm. I think our natural predisposition is to judge in an uncharitable way mm. um, and I think that's why Jesus is challenging us so strongly on that because we will tend to go, to look at people from a position of arrogance and go, oh, I wouldn't do that. Like, mm. and and but then not actually taking the time to look at my heart and say, oh, actually, I do do that. Um, or I'm I'm worse in this area. So we want to be charitable toward others and look at ourselves, examine our hearts before we start making judgments, passing judgments on everyone mm. else. And that's the whole point with the plank in your own eye and your speck exactly. in your brother or sisters, right? Like yeah. Jesus, and you've got your own problems that you mm-hmm. need to work on too, right? You've got this big thing hanging out. Um, and as I kind of alluded to, like if, if we had to be perfect to make judgments ourselves, we would never make them mm. because we can't. Mm. Um, only Jesus is perfect. And so Jesus is still saying, recognize the plank, but still help pull out the speck out of your brother's or sister's eye. Yeah, that's true. He says, take out the plank before you help mm. the speck. So it's not, he's not saying just ignore everyone's specks because mm. of your plank. Mm. Um, he's, he's encouraging us to be active. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I think like I was thinking about this p- part of the question where it says when you judge mentally, like when you think a judgment, I guess is what they're saying, it's not particularly with love. Um, I think that I, I just wanted to like share an example that I thought, no, I think this would be a loving judgment, like just to try and I guess give a practical example of how mm. judgment can look loving. Because I was thinking, so I have a, I have one kid who should get their L's <laughs> and another one who's who's well and truly on his P's and, and he's a very good driver and I don't have any concerns. But if he were to be driving too fast a lot of the time, I would make a judgment that's not safe. That's not a position of arrogance as his mum saying, oh, I wouldn't drive my car like that. I would just be I'm really worried about that your behaviour is dangerous and so I want to bring you into line. So that would be – that was an example I thought of where judgment is – is not necessarily coming from an arrogant place but from a place of love and concern. Mm. Mm. Yeah, totally. So we want to have that posture, I guess, toward everyone. Like like I love my kid, like we should be loving each other. Yeah. yeah. And so judging in that way. Yeah. So let's get practical um, then. How do we become less judgmental in that negative kind of a way? So a couple of people have asked for um, practical tips for overcoming um, a judgmental mindset in the day-to-day mm. Um, someone said, I feel like I am constantly being judgmental in my thoughts of others and I don't even mean to be. I have a feeling this stems from pride and insecurity, but I would love some practical advice on how to overcome the sin of being judgmental. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it's something that we all struggle with. Uh, you're not alone. Um, it's all a journey for each and every one of us as mm. we um, navigate our own inner thoughts and inner feelings. Um, and so... Practical things that I would be thinking about uh, and even that I have done is I always try and just look at it from their perspective and Mm. look at the root of why that is occurring. Mm. Um, Is it because they're new in their faith and they are still growing and learning um, as a disciple of Jesus? Is it because they're being arrogant and they think that they can just do whatever they want and that, you know, there's so much grace that I can just do as much sin as I want in my life, which, you know, Paul in Romans says by no means that we had to keep on sinning so that grace may abound. That's not what we're called to do. Mm. And so I think it's realizing that ultimately we're all sinners, um, you know, and so for us we just need to keep that in mind that our own inner thoughts and feelings are 
affected by the sin in our lives, but also that of the person that might be not living the way that God calls them to. So the first thing is really thinking about the deeper as to the why. Um, I always try and put myself in other people's shoes and go, you know, what's going on for them at the moment? Why would they respond like that? Why are they living like that? Um, and then try and sort of work from there, then just go, no, nah, that's not the way to do things and they shouldn't be doing that. So mm. that's that's kind of the first thing. Uh, the other part would be trying to come alongside that person as well. Mm. Uh, you know, what it, what it, is your judgment from a place of afar? Like you know them not well, you know, you're just sort of looking at them as someone in the church or in your youth group or in your Christian workplace um, and isn't living out that particular way that Jesus called us to and actually getting to know the person because I think knowing someone makes it so much easier to have the conversation and actually, Mm. as I said before, digging into the why that's happening uh, for you. Um, And the last thing I'd say is prayer. This this is a journey. This isn't just a you are now, you know, no longer judgmental of people. You know, I'm still judgmental. Um, and we, and I have to reflect on that on my own, you know, week to week and day to day. And so I just encourage you that everyone struggles with this. This isn't going to be an overnight fix. Um, but as long as you're mindful of it and thinking about it and going, why am I thinking like this? Why am I, it's kind of like what I shared on Sunday about finances and stuff. Like, why is my first thought? What's an app been spending money on? It shouldn't be actually, why am I thinking that? What are the things that I've spent things on? And so contextually in in this case you know where are the where are the planks in my own life that are causing me to then look at the specs of others mm. and so yeah that would be kind of my practical tips mm. yeah it's helpful i was reading this question and i want to affirm all that james has just said as well but particularly if this is your question i think there's a lot of self-awareness in how you phrase this question and i think a bit like what we talked about last week with, with another very personal question that was there, like good on you for recognizing that in yourself. And I want to affirm even that, like that is a good practical step in yourself to first come to the table with, to not first go to the, oh, it's their fault. It's actually, no, this might be some pride and insecurity in my own heart. And I think I want to um, affirm that as a practical step. Like mm. if you come into a situation and you are recognizing it might be in those places. Just take a moment to stop and think about, well, how, what, what am I bringing to the situation? Is it my own pride, my own insecurity? And yeah, I guess having, having that practical accountability with, with yourself. And then my dad always tells me, um, just bring it before God. Like in that moment, if, if, you're, if you're in a, a line or something like that and someone cuts in front of you, make a snap judgment on them, something like that. Just bring it before the throne room of grace, as my dad says. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, just quick shoot a quick prayer to God about, oh, is that, even though that was in itself something that was wrong, I can control my reactions and my thoughts in that, in that space. So yeah, affirming the self-reflection that is happening in this question and actioning that into prayer, I think is a really helpful thing practically. Yeah, hmm. definitely. I think when I was thinking about this question, I was similar track to what James was saying. Um, and But like understanding that I don't know that person's whole situation. So maybe I can try and put myself in their shoes and maybe in doing that little thought experiment, I discover I actually don't really know what's going on. But also sometimes you really cannot conceive of what's going on for another person. And I've been caught like um, myself, like thinking, oh, why, why is that family doing it that way? Why is this happening in that family? And just kind of like privately just, you know, I wasn't, I was never going to say anything because that's not my style at all. I'm very non-confrontational. And then one day I was talking to, talking to the mum in this family and she shared some stuff that was going on and I'm not going to say what it was, but it just went like the penny dropped and I thought, oh, now wonder, now wonder that's why that they've been conducting themselves in that way or, or these have been the decisions that they've made. Like, and I just felt so embarrassed. Like when you talk about bringing things to the throne room, like I felt embarrassed before God, like, oh my gosh, like. And so I always think of that and Chris and I have a saying that we say a lot of the time um, just between ourselves, like you never know what's going on under the hood. You never Mm. know what's happening for people. So we want to be charitable. And so, yeah, that particular event in my life um, has made me catch myself a few times, but it's not foolproof. I still struggle Mm. with this as well. 
So I've talked a little bit about rebuking people already and the idea that we want to rebuke people in love and with love and from a place of love. Um, but people are asking how how do I do that, which is fair enough. Um, so this question we have is practically how do you rebuke someone when you see the decisions they are making and the harm they are having on them and their family? Yeah. Uh, Jesus actually answers this for us in Matthew 18. So mm -hmm. I'm going to read that out for us. Uh, and he says, dealing with sin in the church. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So I think that's the first step. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus is saying if you need to speak to someone about something that's going on in their life um, that you've seen and gone, you know what, I need to love them and help them correct their, their way of living so that they live out Jesus' teaching, um, you do that one-to-one. -one. And so then Jesus says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. And I reckon most of the time that's probably going to be the case. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so the next step is to bring someone else in or another, or another two people in that know that person well, that they have a good relationship with because, again, mm -hmm. this is really important. You just don't want to bring random people in to come and make a decision. But others that have said, no, I, I agree with this um, of what you've noticed in this person's life and I'm happy to come and maybe that if they hear it from me and go, hey, we're here because we love you and we want to help you. Mm. Um, and now there's three of us going, hey, it's not just this person that brought it up the first time but there's actually another two of us that recognise that this is a problem. Mm. Um, then again, that's the next step. But if they still, as Jesus says here, refuse to listen, tell it to the church. I don't think I've seen that happen <laughs> no. very often. Uh, I think I know of one or two stories of that occurring, um, but that usually it doesn't get to that point. Mm. And then the final point is then if they refuse to listen to even to the church, Jesus says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so ultimately to not treat them as a Christian because they are not living as what God's called them to do and actually treat them as if they're an unbeliever with the hope that they will come and hear and listen and respond to God's word. And so it's not to get rid of them completely, but rather actually go, well, you know what? If you're not even going to listen to the church, you says this is how you should be living as a Christian, then we're going to treat you as though you are not a Christian. But that doesn't mean we're going to not talk to you or despise you. How do we you. treat people we, who aren't Christians? We love, we love them. <laughs> that's right. the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what we do. Yeah. And so that is some real practical ways of of fulfilling that and so i would say it's the it's the one-to-one -one. um and it's doing it in, in a context of a, a safe place for them so whether that's going out for coffee or anything like that you'll know that person because ultimately you, you shouldn't if you don't know the person then why are you calling them out yeah like again like context is key in everything and so i would encourage you to um to start one-to-one -one and um bring it in easy you know i think that's probably the way to do it the through line for all of those steps is uh, even starts with brother or sister. And I think that is the, that is the key. It is done relationally. It is mm. done in the context of a loving body of friends that want to see this person restored to the faith. And particularly if it's a major grievance, that would be a long process, but if it's something small, it can be done in a conversation. But I think that when I was thinking about, about particularly the steps and what is involved in this, it's, first of all considering what's your relationship with them mm. like it, am i in a place where i can speak into that situation um maybe if you're not going alongside with someone else and seeing if that you that you know is is and talking to them about that and getting, maybe seeing if they see a problem with it too it's all the relational aspect that comes with rebuke is because if you try and rebuke someone where there is no relational capital beforehand or relational investment at all it's just going to come across as you're just trying to poke holes and just cause trouble kind of thing, I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I know that's helpful advice. Um, it's good that Jesus shared that with us. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> we appreciate it, Jesus. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, another question along the same lines. How do you remind someone you care about to treat others how you wish to be treated when they're a very sensitive person and you don't want to hurt them? Yeah. Um, I kind of think what Nathan did in 2 Samuel 12, mm -hmm. actually trying to share and maybe another situation of a case where someone 
has not lived out how they should have been and then has sort of been hypocritical in their approach. Um, I wonder whether that would be a way to try and explain to them in a loving way, you know, when you do this or when you do that or when someone does that to you, this is how it might make them feel. And so trying to maybe not explicitly say, hey, you're doing this and and it hurts me, Mm. but trying to help them understand how a particular situation might play out for another person and how they might feel if that person did that and trying to sort of take them out of the picture in the initial stages to try and help them see that. And so Mm. I think that would be probably one of the first things that I'd encourage you to just try and talk through maybe some of the things that you're noticing. Um, It is hard if they are sensitive uh, and so you've got to be really careful about how you bring it before them. And I I don't know your situation so I can't speak into that uh, specifically about how you might do that. But I think obviously coming before that particular person uh, in love, potentially in the like of telling a, a, a situational story of something similar that might be going on for you and them that you're nervous to approach them with it just in case you might really upset them with that as they're sensitive and just help them sort of maybe see the different perspective um, that mm. they're clearly not seeing as they are hurting you. But I think the other thing to realise is is that you know, when we become Christians, it's not this like automatic switch. We now are like 100% godly and therefore we don't sin. And so it's this ongoing process that's going to take time. And so I think in this particular situation, uh, it's going to take time uh, for you and for them uh, to finally hopefully come to this resolution. And so I just want to encourage you in that, that, you know, we it's not going to be an overnight thing, uh, but rather it will be a journey. Uh, mm. And as we call it, Um, We call it sanctification, the work of the spirit in the believer's life as they become more and more like Jesus. And so I just encourage you just to to help that person go, you know, we want to live like Jesus has called us to and just help them walk that. uh, And hopefully in time uh, you might be able to see those changes uh, but also maybe able to address some of those things that they're doing with them through God's word to help them see that. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really... It's really tricky when someone, you know, someone's very sensitive. Um, Mm. But that doesn't mean necessarily that we should avoid talking to them because sometimes people use their sensitivity, um, and I mean this with all the respect in the world, but because I'm a little bit like this, I don't like getting negative feedback. Mm. We can use our sensitivity um, as a shield. Um, And so, like, you're a good friend. Like, if you're, like, even thinking about sharing this stuff with them. What I would suggest as well is um, when I studied as a speech pathologist, we were trained that people hear negative feedback five times more as loudly as positive feedback. So particularly when we're walking in, working in the field of stuttering where people are very sensitive about their stutter and you're working with little kids, you will praise all of the smooth talking that they're doing um, and correct uh, like only every five times you're saying something out of your mouth. So you want to keep it really positive. So I always think about that as an analogy for how, how we how we do rebuke people around us. Um, and like I said before, this is not a strength for me because I don't like to rebuke people because of my non-confrontational nature. So I would want to always cushion it with some positive feedback mm. Then some negative feedback and positive feedback. I've heard it called the um, feedback sandwich, right? So if you're in the corporate world, you've probably heard that. I think I can't remember where I heard it from, but it's from the secular world. But I just think that's a kind way of doing it. Affirm your friendship. I really care about you. Like I love hanging out with you. This is something that I've noticed, um, but I only bring it up because I love you so much. And like, you know, so you sort of sandwiching. So so I just hit my microphone. Just kind of sandwiching. that in there Mm. but I would also say is someone's reaction is within their realm of responsibility not yours so yeah don't don't take it too hard if they take it badly if you've done everything that you can to be gentle and kind yeah because like the unloving thing to do is to do nothing right exactly so I think it's a real like it's such a tension where we go like I really love this person I really want to help them see what they're missing and what they need to, to, to change. And I love them so much that I'm willing to risk that hurt that they're going to feel, yeah. but yet they're going to feel like it is an unloving thing that you're doing, but actually it's loving. And so I just want to encourage you, like I feel the tension um, and I just want to affirm you in trying to, you know, come and speak to any of us. If you want to give us a bit more detail as a pastoral team, we'd love to help 
walk with you in that um, mm. because ultimately, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a tricky situation. So, yeah. Yeah. And on the flip side, I guess, um, if someone rebukes you, receive it potentially as an act of love. Mm. <laughs> like I, that's not how I would necessarily receive it. I'm going to defense mode. Yeah. Yep. But if someone does come to you, particularly if they're, you can tell they're being super gentle, just mm. hear them out and, um, yeah, receive it as a gift of love. Yeah. All right. How about when things go badly? <laughs> so the next question is, what is an appropriate response to when a rebuke is met with hostility or even denial? I'm sorry that you don't agree with my rebuke. God loves you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. It's funny. I'm so anti-confrontational. And so yeah. for me, when yep. these conversations have happened, like, I, I, I really uh, I'll refuse to have a conversation with someone that is angry or yelling or... Um, just not calm because ultimately things are said and they they hurt um, mm. because you're not speaking from a place of clarity but rather a place of heightened response and sense because of what's going on and so uh, yeah I would I would try and if they are being quite you know hostile uh, I'd just shut down the conversation then and there give them time to reflect on on what they've heard from you because mm. you've clearly said it. And, you know, say, I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, I've said this because I love you and because I want to, like, see you live according to God's will um, and in his word to us. And so, look, we'll leave it there. And um, if you want to chat about it later, love to follow up and, and talk about it, but sort of just cease it because it's ultimately as things ramp up, it's just, it's never going to end well. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, I joke with my first response there, but <laughs> kind of a little bit, like I would, yeah. I would shut it down. Um and so because that's just not going to be helpful for anyone. And so, yeah, I think that's probably. I'm back. I, I, I pulled the, the, the thing on the back. Uh, yeah, I would, I would encourage you to take those steps and also start following the rules of Matthew 18. Mm. So the next conversation is you with someone else and someone else um, to help that person see. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's just so dependent on the situation, what it is. It's, yeah, it's, there's always going to be different answers to different specific situations, but that would be what I would suggest or mm. that's what I would do. If someone, if I tried to call someone out and they got real hostile with me, I'd be like, look, I'm sorry that you're upset and, um, you know, we'll, we'll leave this here and, and I'll, I'll check in a little bit in a week's or two time and um, we can talk a bit more about it. And so I'll leave that with you. I know I'm a bit like you back in, like I am, very non-confrontational <laughs> and particularly when someone comes back in this kind of style I'm just like okay okay <laughs> we'll leave it there kind of thing but the worst thing you can do and the worst witness you can have particularly in this kind of situation is match their match their anger match their that that the denial and the the aggravated response in these situations just cuz that's that's just going to lead fuel that that's just if you're doing that that's just going to fuel their anger and it's just going to go back and forth and evolve until someone backs down or just keep evolving until something happens that you just don't want to happen. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I ultimately you need to love them. And while depending on the issue, particularly that it can be so hard just to stop, but you've done or you can only control what you're doing and in it's on them for maybe for reacting the way, in the way they, that they are. So mm. The three things I had there were um, move on, like James said. I think that's a just close the conversation down. They may not be in a right place to hear that, what, what you're saying at the moment. Maybe revisit it later kind of thing is the second thing. But also maybe look at yourself too is the other thing I thought of. Like how have you gone about this conversation? <clears throat> Excuse me. For all the maybe the mental preparation you've gone into it or even practicing what you're going to say, all that kind of stuff. Even then in the moment, Maybe it has come across the wrong way. Maybe you've said a wrong word that was not what you what you thought, or maybe you carried yourself in a in a different way to what was helpful. Like there's not dwelling in that moment in what how you presented it, because the main thing is that you did bring it up. But maybe next time you do this, there's something that um, could be changed in how you present yourself and how you use your language in that situation, kind of thing. So yeah, not resting in that, but also a time of self-reflection as well. I think can be helpful too. Mm. It mm. depends why the person's gotten angry. Maybe it was like 
the situation I brought up before where I didn't know the whole story. So let's say I went in and said, oh, I'm really concerned about this behaviour that you're doing. And they went, don't you understand what's going on? Like and if they, they'd get angry from that perspective, then it, that would be an opportunity to go, oh, actually, I didn't realise I didn't realise that. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, and again, different response for different situations. Totally. I would then wouldn't shut the conversation down. Yeah, I'd be exactly. like, tell me more. Like, mm. help yeah. me understand. I'm sorry mm. that I mm. have misappropriated my dis- decisional judgment on you. Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess we just want to keep in mind the goal is restoration, not retaliation. Yeah doesn't sound like any of us are big retaliators. <laughs> We're more likely to yeah. run. Um, I'll have the hard conversations. You'll have the I hard conversations. I learned that yeah. very young um, in uh, the music ministry group that I was a part of. Okay. We're all, we were all, yes, so creative. <laughs> absolutely. And we're all just very different. What united yeah. us was the the gospel and, and telling kids about Jesus through music and traveling around Australia. And we're just all such different personalities. Mm. Uh, and there was conflict all the time. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> You just could not not deal with it because you lived in a bus with them. And yeah. so you saw them every sure. single day, every waking minute. There was no like go and take a week's break. Like you wake up and you're both there. And so ultimately um, I learned that it's better just to sit through the pain of awkward silence and just let people mull and, and eventually just speak what they need to say and try and bring reconciliation because if we don't, it's it's hard yard, so yeah, mm. that was an early lesson for me. So yeah, I'm not saying I'm going to go have some hard conversations with people right now. I don't want to have them, <laughs> yeah, but I course. will have them. Um, yeah, because you've learned the value of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. absolutely. And learned that it's worth the risk. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just want to affirm that for everyone. Like they're hard, they suck. I'm not looking for them, mm. but ultimately, the outcome of them is usually a lot better than not dealing with it. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah. There's been so many conversations. Well, I can think of examples where. After the fact, maybe like X amount of time later, that person has come back to me and actually said, no, actually I've thought about it and I really, I thank you. I really am thankful for you for bringing that up. Like Mm -hmm. there's, it's that processing time. It's that thinking, it's that resting in moving past that defensive stage and being like, actually, no, that is very helpful. Like, and yeah, the fruit can be so helpful when it's done really well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Okay, moving on to God's good gifts. So we talked a lot about prayer um, in the sermon as well. Someone has asked, what are the good gifts that God gives us? It's a great question. I'd say the the ultimate gift is salvation, uh, eternal life with him. But I think, you know, as, as I was reflecting on the question, we we are so blessed here in Australia. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we look at what we have and, you know, it, for some of us we might go, oh, I don't have enough, you know. Uh, others might go, I am so blessed. I think, you know, we've got to realise that everything that we have comes from God. It's his blessings upon us. And so the good gifts are the things that we have. Like God has blessed us with living in a country like Australia with the health care that we have here um, to have the systems and the polit- political stuff that we've got that protect the people and care for the people and even having roofs over our heads and educations and schoolings, like they're just like everything that we have is a gift from God. Like, mm. And it's just I think sometimes we can forget to realise that actually we do have that because there are places in the world that they don't have any of that, right? You think of third world countries. Um, and so I think we can be so blinded by our normality of what we have that we don't realise that actually they are good gifts themselves. Um, and so, you know, when Jesus teaches to pray in Matthew 6, you know, it's to uh, ask for our daily bread. And mm. so, you know, all that we need is the sustenance so that we might remain alive and be able to serve God. And so I think everything on top of that is just blessing upon blessing that we have in a country like Australia. And so I would I would say yeah, the good gifts are the things that we have right here, right now. Uh, but ultimately it is that salvation, the eternal life uh, that Jesus uh, has uh, given us. And so, yeah, there you go. Mm. Physical blessings and spiritual blessings. Yeah, mm. both. Yeah, ditto, affirm that. <laughs> His <laughs> provision ultimately mm. in all of in our in the entirety of our lives, spiritually, physically, any anything that we have, yeah, yeah, yeah. all comes from him. It's interesting that um, in the parallel passage in Luke, good gifts is replaced with the Holy Spirit. Yes, oh, um, yes. I did so, have that in my notes. Yeah, so I, th- I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, the Holy Spirit's like the ultimate gift um, to have God dwell with us. Amazing. Mm. Okay, next question. If God gives good gifts to those who ask, 
and if we should ask for things that are God-focused, how do we reconcile this with the fact that sometimes our prayers for our non-Christian loved ones to know Jesus may never be answered? Mm. It's hard. Uh, I'd say we don't know until we know. Um, And so for you right now, if this is you praying that a family member of yours would come to know Jesus, until they take their last breath on this earth, we won't actually know. Um, You know, I've had a few conversations with people over the last little while and uh, one of the things that has come up that a a number of people on their final days and hours give their life to Jesus. Uh, And so... I would just encourage you in this circumstance to keep praying and keep bringing it before God uh, mm. because we don't know till we know, until they've actually passed. And so it's hard. It's it really hard. It, it sort of ties into some of the big theological doctrines of predestination, yeah. you know, and so um, and that's just a rabbit hole that we could go down. Um, but I just want to encourage you that it is difficult. You know, I've, I've, I know people that have died that aren't a Christian and I've been to their funeral and it is, it's really sad because mm. there's just no hope. It's just mm. a farewell and goodbye. And so I just want to encourage you, just keep at it. Mm. Keep, you, you just don't know what God's going to do. Um, mm. And so I think the best thing that we can do is we know who God is. We know of his character, his love for us, his love for the world, his love for those that don't know him yet, that he will call to himself at his appropriate time that he has planned for them. And so I just want to encourage you in that to to not cease praying and bring, and asking God to to bring those people to himself. So, mm. yeah. I think particularly in this space, yeah, and like, like James has said, it's just, it's so hard to keep going with that. Um, and, but I do want to affirm that right throughout the Bible and just, and, I've seen and and so many of us have seen that prayer is so important in our lives in our walks as a Christian and a follower of God. It it we know it does work. We do see it around us, but so but there is a fair amount of time when we don't when we don't see our prayers answered. And but I was what came to mind here was yes, we're taught to pray and we don't always see it and that's in God's hands. But we also see the power of prayer that we do have. And my, my head went to when even Moses personally um, represented the Israelites at, at, at Sinai before God saying, and like, and change God's mind as we read in the Bible effectively. And that there's interesting parallels yeah, and fun little rabbit holes and discussions mm-hmm. around that. But even that alone, like mm-hmm. Moses appealed to God as we read, change the outcome for his people. And I think we we have a similar insight into what our prayers can do to God there. And also don't stop praying because even praying alone shows who what authority you have in your life, the the, the master in your life. You are mm-hmm. saying, God, I don't have control here, but I know you do. So I bring this person to you. I bring this need to you because you have such a greater perspective than what I can ever have. And I rest that with you. And you don't stop that because especially I feel like if you see constant resistance from if there's a person in mind for this particular person asking this question, if there's resistance after resistance after resistance, then just keep praying. Like it is, it it can get tiresome and hard, but don't stop kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The encouragement I take from this passage is that Jesus reminds us that Though we are evil, we give good gifts to our children. God gives good gifts to his children and God is not evil. So it's an act of trust Mm. in God's compassion and goodness and justice when we pray for such things. But it is a hard question. Thanks for asking it. All right. um, Now we're going to move to what is known as the most difficult text in the Gospel of Matthew, according to a commentator (laughs) that I read about pearls and pigs. So, James, can you explain how we can apply the verse, do not cast pearls before pigs in our lives as Christians? Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. 
I laugh at that because Beck told me that that's what she read just before we hit record and I went, no wonder I struggled with it. <laughs> You're not <laughs> was, alone, I man. I was stumping me. I was like, oh, my goodness. And so I did share two perspectives and Beck's going to have a third for us in a moment. Uh, so the first one was the notion that, you know, the, the beauties of the gospel and the spiritual truths uh, that are there, um, you know, these pearls and these treasures, you know, for them um, they have of great value, you know. And so the, the, the one con- commentator said, you know, know, when we bring those to people, if we're constantly met with just um, aggression and dismissal and don't want a bar of it, then you know what? Stop. Because clearly their their hearts are hardened and they don't want to hear it. And so uh, that's what Jesus is saying. You know, don't keep bringing these things to these people um, and sharing it because they just, they don't want to hear it. And so the example of that was in Acts 18 where Paul was bringing the gospel to the Jews and he just got met with so much hostility and resistance. He went, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to go and speak to the Gentiles and share it with them. And so there was that case there. Uh, uh, Titus as well. I think Paul says to do that um, as well. And so there's a couple of instances where that, that particular view could be affirmed that, you know, if you met with such resistance, stop. It's mm. it's not it's it's time to just move on. Uh, the second one, which was the one that I think helped uh, more in the context of what uh, Jesus was saying, was that at times when we share the treasures and the pearls of the gospel and what Jesus has brought to us, we're going to be met with resistance as we judge or rebuke or correct our brothers and sisters in Christ as we mm. if we as we remind them, you know, to to love one another, uh, to care for one another, to to you know not commit adultery to not steal to not murder all those commands that jesus has been saying in the sermon on the mount to live this way to live that uh, to not live that way or to do this and not do that if we bring those things to them and they are hostile towards us like they get angry they turn against us like the dogs or they trample over these beautiful treasures that jesus has shared with us in his his sermon then, um, then that's going to be the reality of some of the responses that we're going to receive as we go out and do that, and we can't control that. And so mm. it's more of a be prepared so that as you come to your brother and sister in judgment, trying to correct in a, in a loving way, people are going to react like savage dogs or they're going to trample over the things that you have shared with them like pigs trampling over pearls. And so I think that in that context, flowing out of the judge section that Jesus was sharing, that's how it sort of fits in there. Mm. But you have a third. Yeah, so a third perspective that I found, which is not particularly controversial, um, was saying that we can read these verses sarcastically. Perhaps Jesus was being sarcastic. That is... Don't give what you consider to be dogs or pigs um, what you consider to be your sacred pearls of wisdom. So you've got these grand judgments, these precious pearls of judgment like slash S, like sarcasm, um, and that, and you're giving them to what you consider to be dogs and swine um, like because they, they might turn on you and, and trample you kind of thing. So it, it's basically – if you can think about that for a while, consider that it's kind of a parallel, like saying the same thing as don't judge lest you be judged. Like don't judge planky eyes like, you know, (laughs) with your so-called precious pearls. Um, Yeah, lest, lest, you know, you be turned on by the people that you're you're judging or you, you even consider them dogs and swine, which in the ancient world was very, very insulting. Um, so yeah, it takes a little while to get your head around that as a concept, but I just thought that was an interesting interpretation. It doesn't negate anything that James has just said, because everything he said, you can find elsewhere in scripture. Mm. Um, so in terms of applying this, these verses as Christians, I think we can take them all together. I think in, just as we were talking, as you guys were mentioning that just then, my mind thought of like practically in action, even like the parable of the sower that Dave led this entire series through Matthew with last year for us. Like mm-hmm. it just, you're going to throw out these things and they're going to be reacted to in different ways. And there's the, there's the four different soils that we hear about in Matthew 13. And um, yeah, like it just paid my mind to that. Like it's going to be, everyone will take their own response to these things. And sometimes that response will be to trample them or to, to waste the, the, the gems that you've just thrown out kind of things. So yeah, just an interesting little link. Like I think that that's in, that's a helpful maybe parallel here too. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, which relates to those more mm. those interpretations mm. that James was sharing, mm. which are a lot more common than the one that I just said, mm. by the way. <laughs> but yeah. interesting to know what the scholars. But Jesus are was being funny there, like in the, in oh, the yeah, six, the but also stuff. the plank thing, right? Yeah. I think I read somewhere in a commentary, it's like 40 feet was what they referred to <laughs> as what a plank was and a measure. Yeah. And so you think like there's a whopping big thing sticking out of someone's head, like Jesus is trying to be funny in, in what he's saying. He's being yeah. a bit comedic. So. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. So, so it's on it's on brand. Yeah, it's, it it's on is. Um, all right, so that wraps up the questions that we had about our passage. We did have a little bonus question that came through um, about revelation. Um, so I'm going to um, summarise the question um, and if you if this is your question and you don't feel it answers it, then do follow up with us. Um, so it's about Revelation 22 verse 2 which talks about leaves of the tree that are for the healing of nations and also the fact that God says that he will reward people for what they have done in Revelation twenty two twelve. So the person is asking, are there divisions among people in heaven according to them needing healing or the nature of their reward in heaven? Uh, short answer is no. But let me let me explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, uh, and so we need to read it with that lens in mind. So that's looking at it uses visions and imageries to try and convey a particular um, a particular thing that it wants to say through those. So it's not necessarily a literal. Uh, word-for-word translation like we've just come from Matthew where we take Jesus' words as they stand because that's what he is saying. Uh, We've got to think of it as what is the overall thing that is being said through the imagery that is used in these visions Mm -hmm. um, that are being recounted here in God's word in Revelation. And so uh, with that in mind, this sits in the context of the the new Jerusalem, uh, the new heavens and earth, and specifically the new Eden, Eden being restored. And so uh, the curse component, you know, if we know from Genesis 3 that there was a curse pronounced, um, you know, that there'd be sorrow and pain in childbirth for women, you know, friction between men and women, um, and that our work would be futile and it would be hard and ultimately it would all result in death. And so here we're seeing the undoing of that. Um, that's no longer a thing. Like it is being restored to how it once was. And with the the healing side of things, um, that actual Greek word that is used there uh, can is actually can also mean health giving. And so you know we think about the tree of life and 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 what it means and uh, for us. Uh, I think in the context of this, it doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't healed or need healing while they're there, but rather it is just health giving. Like it is the life of Eden, the life of heaven, and so we see that sort of flowing out from from that. And so I think they're the, the, the main things that I would say. Finally, when it comes to the different levels of gifts or rewards, uh, our podcast number 50 at the five-minute mark, we actually address that in quite detail um, about what that looks like. We've spoken about treasures in heaven and all that kind mm. of stuff over the last couple of weeks. So that will probably give you a bit more of a substantial answer. Uh, but in short, no. No, there are not different levels of rewards or uh, anything like that. Uh, I think that's a, it's not not saying that because I, I for me I go say I, I end up doing 40, 50 years of full time ministry, God willing, you know, would I receive a bigger reward than someone who has sat in the pew and served wholeheartedly for the 40, 50 years? No, no, the the reward is heaven itself to be with god to be in the new heaven the new jerusalem and so i think it's it's un, unhelpful for us to think that there's going to be this hierarchy dependent on how good of a christian you have been because ultimately none of us are good enough actually there's nothing that we can do mm. <laughs> but rather it's what jesus has done and he has done enough and so i don't think that we can make any kind of correlation that because we've been a better Christian here on earth and we've done better works or good works, we're going to receive better rewards or good rewards actually. Jesus, he's the the ultimate. And so I think yeah. we need to rest in that and understand it in that context. But happy for some other people to speak on this. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I think when we go to heaven, Jesus is the great equaliser. He mm. brings us all to himself and yeah. we do join with his people in unity and worship God as one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the idea of hierarchy doesn't seem to square with that. But 
Yeah. But it's, thanks for the question. Yeah, it's Why? really – and obviously you're reading Revelation, yeah. so go you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, personally, I, I sort of stay away from it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like yeah, I'll still stick it out. Maybe because it's just part of my upbringing. I'm bringing um, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they very much sat in Revelation so often right. and would try and correlate the visions and everything that's going on and relate them to current world experiences and mm-hmm. going – this is this person. That dragon is that. And you're just like, how can – this was written 2,000 years ago. Like it's different for every time. There's actually a really great podcast on um, uh, undeceptions about Revelation yeah. uh, a couple of months ago now. I'll link it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But it was it was awesome. I loved yeah. it. It was revolutionary. Um, it was just – it really helped me understand it uh, better, uh, especially with like the, the number 666 and all the kind of different meanings that are found within the book. Mm. Uh, it just sort of helps you read it in a, in a perspective that goes, ah, so that's probably where the link is and things like that for that current context, but also how that affects us as we read it in our current context. So, yeah, I'll, um, I'll link that in the show notes for you. But it's, it is a great book. Uh, it's a wonderful um, piece of work that uh, has been written um, and is, 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 yeah, I just, but it's a book that I go, uh, yeah. there's so many rabbit holes and I think just childhood yeah, <laughs> stuff going yeah. on there, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I think everyone brings their different experiences uh, yeah. to scripture and that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. The recommendations I had in approaching um, Revelation at college and I studied at college, approach it with an open mind reading in context because so many of the images are so contextual to yeah. mm. the people he was writing to yep. and to the entire Bible. Um, they knew the Bible, so that's part of it too. Mm. And come at it, at it with a really good commentary next to you, one that is faithful and exegetical and so you can read it really well. Um, not to say that there, and there's, that there isn't helpful things to be pulling out of it. There is so many helpful things, but, yeah, you need to read it really well. Yeah. Right? Mm. But it is a great book. It's mm. really cool. Yeah. yeah, so thanks for your question. Yep. All right, and that wraps up all the questions that we had. What are we talking about this Sunday? Yeah, so we're looking at Matthew seven thirteen through to 23, I think it is. Uh, and so it's Jesus now saying, in light of everything that I have just told you as how to live as my people in um, the kingdom, uh, we're looking at sort of different ways. And so we look at true and false prophets, true and false disciples, and wise and foolish builders. And so um, Nathan is going to unpack that. We have certainty around Whoa. his preaching. Is <laughs> uh, the healing leaves. <laughs> yes, yes. That was meant to be – that's why I kind of know what it is because that, that was meant to be me. I was meant to preach oh, this right. summer. Okay. So, but uh, I've done the last two. That's it. But yeah. I'm looking forward to Nathan bringing uh, that to us as we sort of wrap up um, towards, yeah, the, the end of, of Matthew. So – uh, or the, sorry, the Sermon on the Mount in, in the Book of Matthew. So mm. yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I don't know about you guys, mm. but um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm ta- like I'm exhausted mm. from all of the thinking about my life, and I'm so convicted. Mm. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a good time. So much reflection on so many aspects of life, and just the richness of three chapters. Like mm. yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm grateful for Jesus um, yeah, <laughs> and his grace. All right. Well, we hope to see you all on Sunday. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.